Hi, everyone. Um, at Taproot, we believe God uses the Bible supernaturally to reorient our hearts toward truth, goodness, and beauty. As I read the scriptures today, our prayer is that God would shape us and conform us into his image. Today, I'll be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. After the reading of God's word, I will proclaim, This is the word of the Lord, and I would invite you to respond prayerfully. Speak, Lord, your servants here. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey, church, good morning. It is good to see you today. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis, and I am one of the pastors here. And uh, if this is your first time here, welcome to uh, Taproot. Welcome to our church. Um, uh, if you are new, on the back of uh, the chairs, you'll find a welcome card. And we would ask you to take a couple minutes now to grab that, fill it out, and then before you leave today, drop it off at the welcome bus. And when you do that, we uh, have a, a small gift to give you, just a small way for us to say to you, welcome to our church. Um, today, we are uh, going to start a very short Advent uh, slash Christmas series. Okay, today we're going to do uh, a sermon that I've just titled Promise, and then next week we're going to... Uh, wrap up that series just two weeks with a sermon called Promise Fulfilled. And uh, the whole thing will culminate on our Christmas Eve service, which is going to happen on Christmas Eve from 6 to 7 o'clock here uh, in our building. So we invite you to, to come, be a part of what's happening the next couple of weeks. This also is a time to, um, people are really open to the gospel, to the story of Jesus. And so I encourage you, to engage those around you with uh, the greatest story that has ever happened in the history of the world. Engage people with Jesus through your lives. Invite them to come to church. Talk to them about their questions. And uh, that's what our church is all about. The mission of our church is to make disciples of Jesus. We want people to encounter life with Christ. Not only eternally, but while on this earth, Jesus is the way to flourish. We then want to equip you with the scriptures, with the tools that you need to then release you to go be on mission, the mission of bringing Jesus in his kingdom everywhere, every day. So, two weeks Christmas series culmination with our Christmas Eve service. Again, I encourage you to engage those around you with Jesus and his story uh, during this Christmas time. Uh, also today, after our gathering, we're going to take a few moments to pack some goodie bags. Jesus has opened us uh, a 
fantastic opportunity to partner with our public high school and specifically with a group of immigrant kids in the ELL program. We have been asking and praying for opportunities to love these students. And uh, today, this week, we get an opportunity to go bless these kids, 65 immigrant kids with uh, some goodie bags. Just a simple way for us to say to them, we love you. And more than that, Jesus loves you. So if you've got 20 minutes, it's going to take 20 minutes maybe to pack the bags. Because what's the phrase? I'm bad with phrases. Many hands make light work. Okay, so I didn't screw that one up, right? You guys help. Thank you. So stay, help, help us out. It's going to be awesome. Okay, let me start uh, today's sermon with a story. Okay, the story goes that Martin Luther, when he was in uh, law school, during one of his breaks, went back to see his family. And on the way back to school, he got caught up in the middle of this incredible thunderstorm. Now, this thunderstorm, uh, he was, quote, saying that he thought that God had unleashed the very heavens to take his life. Now, I've never been... uh, in one of those thunderstorms, but it seems pretty crazy, right? Now, uh, Martin Luther was so scared that he jumps off his horse, went to go try to find some uh, shelter, finds this huge rock, hides under this rock, and while he is hiding, he makes this promise. He cries out, help me, Saint Anne, and I promise you that I will become a monk. Now, that's Luther's biography says God kept his vows, God spared Martin Luther, and Luther kept his promise. He survived this thunderstorm, he gave away his law books, he gave away his law cap, and he entered the monastery, and the rest is history. Now, how many of you guys have ever made a promise kind of like that? This is what I mean. God, if you do this for me... I will do this. Surely more than one person. You guys are trying to be like, no, not me, you know. When I was in school, you guys know this happened. God, if you help me pass this test, if I can get the grade, I will study next time. Anybody made that promise ever? Exactly, man. We, we do this. God, if you do this for me, I will do this. And here is the truth. Promises are a part of life. Promises are a promise is an important thing. The word promise is a weighty word. And it all starts really when we are kids. How many of you guys ever uttered the phrase, I pinky promise that this is going to happen, Right? We do this. And then if you're really serious, you add a kiss to the end of that, right? I pinky promise with a kiss. Anybody? Is that weird? No? (laughs) All right. Forget about that. Okay, then as as you get older, promises get more serious, right? For those of us who are married, we made some, some promises, some vows. We covenanted with our spouses. Those are way more serious promises. For those of us who have kids and we have, are, are raising them up in the church, maybe we made some promises. We made a covenant. We made a dedication to the Lord, to God's people, and to our kids that we're going to raise them in a very specific way. Now, that is a way more serious promise. Now, in my house, my daughter, Elena, she doesn't let me get away with anything. 
What's, what's that phrase? She has the memory of an elephant. I don't know why I wanted to say mouse, but that would not be a thing. She's got a fantastic memory, and she's always saying to me, but dad, you promised. She says that all the time. Now, those words, I promise, don't come out of my mouth a whole bunch. Uh, I don't use that word very often, but whenever I say yes to anything my daughter is asking me, in her mind, I am signing this, uh, you know, contract. You know, I, I, I must do that, which it's not a bad thing. My yeses should be yes, right? That's what the Bible says. But this girl wants to enforce it, okay? Now, here is an example of something that happens in my house. At bedtime, we've got routines. Now, routines... Now, that's kind of a contradiction, but they look different every single night, right? Sometimes it's, uh, it's, sometimes, you know, routine with mom is the same. She's calm, she's cool, she's collected. Mine could look like a wrestling match, Amen. or mine can look like just telling funny stories or reading a book, but one of four things is going to happen, okay? That's what I mean by routine. Now, if that night the routine did not include a story, my daughter will say to me, Daddy, can you please read me a story or tell me a story tomorrow? Which I will reply to her, yes, baby, I can do that. Now, let's pretend that the next day is our HG uh, night day, and so we are going to get home late. And often what happens, my daughter is, she's not a narcoleptic, but she falls asleep like that anywhere, right? So she falls asleep quickly and anywhere. So when we're driving back home from HG, she typically falls asleep. And so when I get out of the car, I, I pick her up, uh, carry, to her, carry her to her room, and put her down to bed. Now, the next morning, here's what I know is going to happen at breakfast. I will be confronted, okay? <laughs> at some point while she's eating, she's going to remember that I was supposed to tell her a story. And she's going to say, Dad, you didn't read me a story. And I'm like, dude, you were asleep. But she doesn't care. And the words will come out of her mouth, but dad, you promised. And I'm like, it's a loose-loose situation. Whatever I say at that point, I'm like, sorry, baby, I'll do it tonight. So again, promises are a part of life. We, we make promises. Some are silly, some are simple, some are serious. We, we keep promises, and we also, sometimes we break promises. How many of you guys have ever experienced the pain of a broken promise? How many of you guys have ever experienced or have caused pain because of breaking a promise? We, we do this. Promises are a part of life. And the reason we are talking about promises, really the short answer of why we are talking about promises is because really the season of Advent is all about God's promises. We, we remember and we, we celebrate that God made some incredible promises to his people. There are some 300 promises in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. God promised that this son, this rescuer, would, would be a miracle child, his very own son, that he would live the life that we could not live, that he would grow up to be the loving shepherd of his people, the place-switching sacrifice, the resurrected Lord and the righteous King who lives forever. 
These, these promises cover the, the entire Old Testament. These promises are at the center of the story of the Bible. And so God makes these incredible promises. And not only did he make them, but he keeps all of them and fulfills all of them in Jesus. And so Advent, this, the season leading up to Christmas Day, is a season, is a time of remembering and celebrating these promises. Advent is all about a promise that God made. But Advent is not only about remembering what He did and what He promised. It is a time to celebrate as well a promise that is yet to happen. That Jesus will come back again to restore all things, to make all the sad things around us, all the broken things around us come undone. He will come again. And just as sure as the promise of His first coming was fulfilled, you can be assured that the promise of His second coming will also be fulfilled. Now this week, all I want to do is focus on one of those promises that God made. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Thank you to Kendra for reading our scripture this morning. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, we've got some Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, let us gift you one. We uh, believe that these are the very words of God. And so take a Bible home as our gift to you. So we're going to look at a promise today. In Isaiah, and then next week, we're going to focus our attention on the birth of Jesus, which is the fulfillment of the promises that God made. Okay? So Isaiah chapter 9, just let me do a bit of context, and let me start with Isaiah's calling and vision. Isaiah was this really interesting character in the Bible. He was a well-to-do aristocrat. Almost said Aristocat, which that would have not been what I meant to say. He came from this wealthy family. And he was one of those unusual guys who lived in like an ivory tower, but he did not act like one of those guys. He loved the people of Israel, and he was deeply burdened for his nation. He lived early on in his life in a time of great prosperity, peace, and flourishing under the leadership and the reign of King Uzziah. But the proverbial writing was on the wall because Israel had this incredible problem with idolatry. And any time that God allowed Israel to flourish, what happened is that they usually left behind the God that blessed them and brought them into flourishing and prosperity. And that's exactly what happens in the book of Isaiah. And the Lord allows Isaiah to see what's going to happen. Isaiah is one of those odd books filled with classic chapters. God shows Isaiah in chapter 6, one of those classic chapters, not only the sin of his heart, but the sin of the people of Israel and also the holiness of God. And here's what you see in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of the great king Uzziah's death, the Lord gives Isaiah this picture of God's holiness. In this picture of God shows Isaiah or confronts Isaiah with his sin in the sin of Israel. And the Lord calls Isaiah out. 
And God basically says, who is going to tell my people about this and be my mouthpiece? And Isaiah replies with a resounding yes to the call of God. And God tells Isaiah about how the people will respond to this message. And here is what God says. God says, basically, go tell them these things, but they will not understand. Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are dull. And this is going to be it until their cities are laid waste and the Lord removes them far away. Can you imagine that? God gives you a mission. Go and tell people this. This is who God is. This is your sin. Turn to the Lord, but catch this. What you do, your mission will fail. Because people's hearts are going to be hard. They're not going to listen to you until their city is destroyed. Everything is laid to waste and I take them away. Can you imagine the shock? This is the nation that Isaiah loves. This is the God who called him to serve. And you can sense the fear of the judgment that is coming. So throughout the book of Isaiah, he's, he's proclaiming to the people of Israel that they need to turn to God, come back to God. And he, he's pleading with them while they go through the very things that God promised were going to happen. Then in 722 before Christ, the Assyrians come. They invade Jerusalem. They laid waste to the city. They take the inhabitants of the land away, just like God had said. It is a time of great darkness, and it's, it's gloomy. And the, the best way that I can picture what is happening here is like one of those pictures that you see in history books of of the country of Poland after Germany invaded them in 1939. Cities are laid waste. Captives taken on rail cars to prison cells awaiting their deaths. Some of the saddest, most horrific and tragic pictures to come out of the 20th century. And that's what's happening in Isaiah's time. Yet, in the middle of such darkness is when chapter 9 is written. In the middle of such depressing, heart-wrenching tragedy is when hope is stirred. Isaiah had a calling to, to call people back to God. He was like a, like a prosecuting attorney that he was bringing charges against God's people and warning them of the disaster that was to come. But then when disaster came, instead of holding an I told you sign, he gave them hope. He lets them see a great light. Now I think that there is something we can glean even right here as an application that hopefully is, is encouraging and helpful to you. From the very opening pages of Scripture, we are confronted with darkness. There is an incredibly dark moment in the first few pages of our Bibles. Adam and Eve, our first parents, sin against God, and then they bring us all down with their sin. Their sin is our sin. 
But right in the middle of that sin and all the curses that came with it, God promised a Savior in Genesis 3, 15. In that moment where God, in the midst of darkness, gave hope, happens over and over and over again in human history. We see it in Isaiah's time. We see it in the book of Romans when Paul wrote, The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. During the Great Reformation, 500 years ago, after the time called the Dark Ages, the reformers who had reignited a God-centered view of the gospel uttered this phrase, post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. So what we see is that God is always intervening, interrupting, and intruding the darkness with light. And here's what that means for you and for me. Your marriage may not be in a great place. You may be going through a season of great darkness and and gloominess. But there's hope in Christ. Parents, maybe you have a son or a daughter who is running and who is resisting Jesus. And that is very difficult and painful as a mom or a dad. Well, there is hope in the midst of great darkness. Maybe your life seems to be in a gloomy place. Maybe your plans aren't turning out the way that you thought that they would turn out. Maybe your, your dreams aren't coming to pass. Maybe your job isn't the job that you expected that you would have or, or things aren't going well. Well, let me tell you that there is hope in Jesus. For those of you who are, who are dealing with habitual sin and addiction that is entrapping you, listen, it doesn't have to. There is hope in Jesus. And the reason I know this is because this is what God does. He does this again and again and again throughout the pages of Scripture. God is always intervening. God is always interrupting. God is always intruding the darkness with light. So that's Isaiah's calling and vision. Now, in our text for this morning, Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's promises is filled with this type of light we just talked about. We see that in the verses that we read in chapter 9. Here are the people of Israel in Assyria, in captivity, worst conditions possible, wondering if things will ever be the same. Will their cities be restored? Does God have a plan to rescue them? Have we been forgotten? Anybody ever asked that question? Has God forgotten me? In Isaiah's word are a remarkably clear no. He hasn't forgotten you. He will save you. And you got to notice in our text the, the, the bigness of the promise, this prophecy. It starts like this, for to us. Now, if, you, if we just stop there this morning, that would be enough. God made a promise to you and to me. Us, not anybody else, us. Let the simplicity of that resound in your heart. God, the God of heaven made a promise to you and to me. God will not leave us. He will not 
forget us. He will bring hope. Then it says, a child is born, a son is given. Now these words don't just mean an ordinary child or an ordinary son. It means that this son will be a gift like no other in the form of a baby, a child. And this gift child will have the government resting on his shoulders, meaning he's got the whole world on his hands, or I guess his shoulders. But, but, but this government won't simply rest on his shoulders, according to verse 7. This government will increase upon his shoulder, and it will never stop. Meaning, when this child is born, when this son is given, he will inaugurate such an unstoppable kingdom that will increase in scope and in peace. And notice the qualities of this child. He's the wonderful counselor. Tells us that his bountiful wisdom and it indicates his care for us. He's the mighty God, indicating that he's powerful to save. And he's not just any child or son, he is God in the flesh. He is the everlasting God, telling the people of Israel that this child is from eternity past and he is going to be eternally with them. And he is the Prince of Peace, giving them hope that the chaos they're currently experiencing will not last. Peace will come. Peace will endure because of their great prince. And in these four names of Jesus, you really find the complete, the complete content of the story of Christmas. He's the wonderful counselor. Sin reduces us to fools. A denial of our need for God in a belief that we can live life on our own. And as the wonderful counselor, Jesus comes to rescue fools from themselves. He's the mighty God. Sin does not just reduce us to fools. It also renders us unable. Unable to do and to be who God designed us to be and do what he created us to do. So when God unleashed his might through Jesus to defeat sin and death for all eternity, he also empowered us to desire and to do what we were not able to do without his son working in and through us. He's the everlasting father. By his death, life, and resurrection, Jesus welcomes us into his family. He is the door by which we have access to God. He lavishes his fatherly love upon us. And we are blessed with all the rights, all the privileges of being children. No longer separated, no longer lost, no longer alienated, no longer alone. But we will live forever as sons and daughters of the great king. And finally, he is the prince of peace. Sin makes us enemies of God and casts us into constant conflict with other people. Can anybody say amen? Sin is antisocial and destructive, making us better fighters than lovers. But God had a solution, and it would not be a negotiation, it would be a gift. This gift was one that we could never achieve or earn or deserve, and this gift was peace with God. And peace, through Jesus, with God, is the only road to lasting reconciliation in peace with one another. You see, this, this is an incredible promise. In the middle of great darkness and gloominess and pain and captivity, Isaiah, God through Isaiah offers us great hope. 
Someone will come. A son, a child like no other. And what you notice about these qualities is how they are, they are transcendent, they are big, and yet they are imminent. They are, they are near and intimate to us. Yes, he's the God of all time. He's the God of eternity. He is the all-powerful God who can save, but he's also so near to us that he comes along to give us wisdom and peace. He is so near to us that he becomes human like us. And finally notice that this child who is born, this son who is given, will sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it forever. Isaiah is prophesying that this son, this child, will be the promised son of David. God promised this to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God told David that he would indeed give him a son to carry on the family name. That son would build God a house, and that son would sit on the throne of David forever. Now, shockingly, to the people of Israel, they thought that this promise was going to be fulfilled in Solomon, the great builder of the temple, which was destroyed by the Assyrians. But Solomon died, and so the people were so longing and looking for this coming king who would sit on David's throne. And Isaiah tells them, in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of darkness and confusion, that king is coming. Now, step back, back for a second and wonder, what does this mean? What does this tell you about God? And here's why I, why I ask this. You ever been in a situation where you, you thought that God was going to rescue you? or you thought that God was going to uh, do something that he promised, and it didn't happen. Anybody ever been there? You ever thought that if you lived your life by a certain moral code, expecting that God would meet you a certain way, and then it didn't turn out the way that you thought? Anybody else? God, if I just live this way and I do everything right, will you? Now, what does this say to us about God? Is he unfaithful? Or does God see time, the fulfillment of his promises, in the sovereign working out of his will differently than we do? You see, imagine being an exile in Assyria. And you hear this promise, and you believe that it's going to happen in your lifetime. Or imagine believing that Solomon was the promised son of David. Wouldn't you be a bit disillusioned when it didn't come to pass? Now this tells us that God who is faithful operates on a different timetable than you and I do. He's not slow to answer his promises, but he fulfills them when he believes and knows it's best. Now, how are you doing with that? Are you resting in his sovereign care over your life? Are you anxious about what tomorrow will bring? Do you find yourself angry with God, his timing, and questioning his goodness and his wisdom? 
Well, this promise and the timing of it shows us that God thinks differently than we do. And his timing, while perfect, is not always ours. But here is what I know. If I were to look back through my life and examine God's track record in my life, sometimes God answers his promises with yes, Sometimes God answers his promises with a no, and sometimes God answers his promises with not yet. Just hang on. But here is what I know. Regardless of how how God answers his promises, I know that God is good and that he has his best interests in mind. And I can assure you that that is the same for you. I don't know what you're waiting for, I don't know where you're at in your life, but I know that God is good and that he is faithful and that you can trust him. So that's Isaiah's prophecy. In the middle of great darkness, God offers light. I promise this son, I promise you this child who will be like no other. Let's talk about, for a moment, the fulfillment of this promise. We're going to look at this in great detail next week when we look at the birth of Jesus. But in our text, in Isaiah 9, we read, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish all of this, which means it's going to get done. You can trust the promises of God always. So let's look at how God fulfilled this. For centuries, the people of Israel waited for this promised son. As a matter of fact, they waited for 700 years, which is a lot of waiting. About 300 years after Isaiah made this promise, this prophecy, the word of God went dark. God stopped speaking. The people were in darkness. The prophets were no longer prophesying and speaking, and the nation of Israel sunk into despair at the weight of the Romans. So again, there is darkness, God speaks light, and then there is even greater darkness. But remember, God is always intervening. God is always interrupting. God is always intruding the darkness, our darkness, with light. And at that time, Mary, who was a teenager, engaged to Joseph the carpenter, was told by an angel that she would give birth to a son. And this is how the angel describes or introduces this son. Look at what the angel said, Luke 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. Kingdom, there will be no end. Do you hear the similarities between what Isaiah said and what the angel said? Do you see that? Isaiah was telling us that this child would be like us, human. But he, unlike us, would be a son who is everlasting, 
In other words, Isaiah was telling us that this son would be the son of the Most High God. And when the angel speaks to Mary, he tells her that she would give birth to the son of the Most High. And this son, this child, is given to Mary and to us. Now further, the angel told her that he will be given the throne of his father David and that he would sit on it forever, and that there would be no end to his kingdom. Which tells us that Jesus of Nazareth, who was in the family line of King David, is the son who was promised to David back in 2 Samuel. And when he came to this earth, he inaugurated a kingdom that will never end. So right off the bat, before Jesus was ever born, we are told that he will fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. He is the child who is born. He is the son who is given. He is the one who sits on David's throne and whose kingdom will last forever. But that's not all. Is he the the transcendent, big, almighty, powerful God, yet is he the God who is near to us? Is he the one who can not only counsel us, but rescue us? Is he able to bring us peace and calm our fears, yet be above all things? And the resounding answer is yes. Because Jesus is the great counselor who by his spirit comes alongside of us and gives us great wisdom, insight, and care. He is the one that when we approach his throne for wisdom, he never belittles us. He never berates us. He never discourages us. He is the mighty God, the one who can calm the seas and can calm our hearts. He speaks to the winds and the seas and they obey him. But he also can speak to us as beloved friends. He's the one who was with God in the beginning and the one who will be with God in the end. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega, the beginning and end. Therefore, he is the father of eternity and time. But he is also the one, the only one who can bring lasting peace between us and God. He's the Prince of Peace. The Prince entered human history in the womb of a virgin teenager, lived life as a human being. He perfectly obeyed God in our place and eventually died the death that we deserved so that by his life and by his death, we would no longer be separated from God. We've been made right with God because of Jesus. We have peace with God because of Jesus, because he is the prince of peace. So yes, he is the transcendent, big God, almighty, who is also imminent, near, and close, and intimate to us. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. And friends, there is no end to his kingdom, to his reign or peace. And you know how I know this. Because 700 years prior to Jesus' coming, Isaiah said, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So you can take it to the bank that Jesus is the Christ. You can rest assured that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. You know, you can know with absolute certainty that when he came, he brought peace. He brought righteousness and he started a kingdom that will never end. His birth is the bursting forth of light. His birth is God intervening, interrupting, and intruding the darkness, our darkness, with light. So the question is, where does all of this leave us? 
It all started in Isaiah 6, a period of great darkness. We moved on to Isaiah chapter 9. And in the middle of great darkness and chaos and disorder, God offers us hope. God says, wait, trust me. And for 700 years, the promise was not fulfilled. But then yet God breaks the silence with a baby crying in a manger who fulfills all of these promises we read in Isaiah. He is the transcendent God who is also near to us. So where does all of this leave us? Well, my prayer is that it leaves us first with our eyes wide open to the truth that Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophets promised. He's the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and his name is Jesus. So if you are here, or maybe someone listens to this online and you are resisting Jesus, and that could look like many different things. My prayer is that you would come face to face with the living king of all things this morning. That you would see his beauty and that you would turn to him. Don't be like the Jewish people in Isaiah's time. Who were told to turn to God and did not. So turn to Jesus. Maybe you are a Christian. You are a disciple of Jesus. You are following Christ and you are wondering. I I don't know your situation, but you're wondering, when will the light burst into my darkness? Maybe that's you this morning. Well, this morning, we've come face to face with the truth that all of God's promises are yes in Christ and fulfilled in Christ. Maybe God's timing to fulfill some things is not what you planned And you need to rest in Jesus' work for you and Jesus' timing to fulfill his promises. Maybe you need to remember that we are not the kings of the universe, but that he is. And maybe you need to remember that God's got this and that God has got you. But remember this, if that's you, if you are in, in a season of like, God, when will you break through for me? Remember this, Jesus is fulfilling all that the prophets foretold and promised is a glorious reminder that your king has not left you. And that your king will deliver on all that he promised. And finally... This really is a call to worship and to give our lives to him. This baby in the manger is the king of all kings, the king of all things. He calls us to worship him, bow to him, give our lives to him, exalt him, serve him, and proclaim the news of his coming. And he calls us to play a part in the ever-advancing kingdom of God, The seal of the Lord of hosts is behind Jesus' ever-expanding kingdom. It's happening, and it's going to keep happening, and we've got a part to play. So let's, let's worship him this morning. Let's submit ourselves 
to Him this morning. And let's rejoice in Him throughout this season. So again, if you're running, turn. If you're in the middle of great darkness and you've got questions, trust. God has got this. He has got you. Trust Him. He is good. And for all of us, worship. There's none like Him. Worship. Let's pray. Jesus, like I said a few moments ago, I, I, I don't know every situation that is happening in the lives of everybody here. But I, but I can probably make a good guess that there are some of us who are going through a difficult season. Darkness, gloominess, pain, chaos, suffering. Well, Lord, I, I ask you this morning that you would do what, what you do all throughout the pages of Scripture. And I pray that you would interrupt, that you would intrude, that you would intervene in that darkness, in that chaos with your light. Thank you that you're a God who we can trust. Over 300 prophecies, all fulfilled in Jesus. Thank you that when you say yes, you mean yes. Father, for those of us who are maybe in a season of waiting for some of those promises to be fulfilled in our lives, help us to trust you. Help us, help us to, to not be anxious about tomorrow, but to trust in your goodness and in your character. Pray for those who may not know you this morning. May they see the beauty of Jesus. Wonderful counselor. Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. The Son of the Most High. May they see his beauty and turn to him. Again, for those who are waiting, for those of us who are waiting on you, help us to trust and rest in who you are. For all of us, Lord, help us res respond to who you are, what you've done, in worship. I pray that the story of Christmas would not be trite and ordinary this year. That we would not have um, you know, gospel apathy or complacency and that we would not be enthralled with the gospel anymore. Help us to, to, to not be a people who, uh, who the gospel is just something common. Help us to, 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 to wonder in amazement and to delight in the gospel this Christmas. But would you work in our lives and our hearts this morning, Lord? Intrude in people's darkness today. Interrupt darkness with life and light today. Help us to trust you, God, as we wait on you. And we offer our hearts now in worship. In Jesus' name I pray.
Okay, guys, we're going to respond.